tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality. That's Escape with a Gay uh, podcast (laughs) (laughs) to queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. We really need to cope with some, like, clever something, something. I know. I've been trying to think of them for this podcast, but... I don't have one yet. Mm-hmm. So normally, listeners who don't already know us, I am America's favorite <laughs> Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. Uh, and I am a Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire. But this isn't Harry Potter, so those clever titles don't quite make sense yet. Not yet. We'll, we'll figure it out. But for point of reference, those titles belong to our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, which is a Harry Potter reread slash queer analysis podcast. We're bringing the same vibes, humorous yet ruthless, here to talk about Carry On. It's going to be super. Jesse, tell the people who you are. Oh man, I don't know what to talk about. Uh... <laughs> who am I? <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I? This has just got very uh, existential. Start with like your pronouns and... That's, a, that's What a great place to start. My pronouns are she, her. I am a black queer nerd and i really love fantasy and also cats so (laughs) which are two things that go together really well they really do and you have several shirts that combine the two yes i do (laughs) (laughs) it's like a it's like a lifestyle it's an aesthetic uh queer witchy nerd so (laughs) yes anyway okay so I am Lark. My pronouns are he, him. I am a disabled, trans, witch, fantasy nerd, and, you know, proud Gryffindor. That seems adequate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Great. (laughs) It's almost like we've never made a podcast before. (laughs) Or have never had to talk about ourselves. (laughs) Also, maybe relevant information, we're both introverts, and as many a meme will attest to, all introverts, when posed with the question, tell us something about yourself, immediately become non-entities. So, (laughs) (laughs) I actually did not exist previous to this moment, (laughs) and it's questionable whether I will continue to exist after this moment, but anyway... We're here to talk about Carry On, a very wonderful book. Uh, You're welcome to read along with us. Today we're going to be discussing the first two chapters. You could be reading it for the first time. We can't promise that it's spoiler-free, but it's going to be, like, minimal spoilers. Uh, And and for those of you that don't know uh, the context of how Carry On came into the world, Rainbow Rowell is very clearly a huge Harry Potter fan. So there's definitely there's so so there's some reasons why this feels a bit like it's like both familiar and then like 
teen boy in a magic school, but also in a lot of ways, like commentary on some of the fucked up things that happen in Harry Potter. And also, hilariously, this is actually, so Rainbow Rowell wrote like a a YA romance-ish novel called Fangirl, where the main character writes fan fiction for the Simon Snow series. Which is like a thinly veiled Harry Potter in Fangirl. It's a very thinly veiled Harry Potter. And the kind of fan fiction that she writes is slash fanfic. She's a big name fan, in fact, very popular. And so, and it's basically thinly veiled Harry Draco. Mm-hmm. And so in, in the book Fangirl, the main character in, in the series, she is writing a fan fiction called Carry On which she is writing before the quote-unquote official last book of the Simon So series comes out. So this is that fanfic, essentially. Yes. Which is, so, and that puts into context what we're going to be talking about, which is the first two chapters are sort of catching us up on the previous six years of Simon's life a little bit. And then he is going into his seventh year in this book. So this isn't like, this is like Harry Potter. We're not like getting that you're a, you're a wizard Harry, you know, bit. We are starting at the end. Well, not at the end, but we're starting sort of like... We're starting with book seven as if six other books existed, but they don't. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, Fangirl is a very cute book. I really was into it, especially as someone who was incredibly awkward in college. And while not a big name fanfic writer, definitely read a fuck ton of fan fiction in college to cope with my sad life so but you could be a big name <laughs> fanfic writer y'all jesse writes some fucking steamy fanfic listen listen i big name fans can write like four hundred thousand word fanfics that is never gonna be me all right fair <laughs> Yes. Okay. So that's why we're here. We're here to talk about this book, which is great. If you want to pause and and go read it and come back, we totally understand. Or at least go read the first two chapters. And, oh, the title, uh, the name of our podcast. Yes. Yes. So the name of the book, Carry On, is a reference to Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And so... The name of our podcast, Escape from Reality, is also a reference to Bohemian Rhapsody. And all of the segments of our podcast are lines from Bohemian Rhapsody because we're very dorky. (laughs) And also very gay. And I mean, I know that like Bohemian Rhapsody definitely crosses identity lines as like favorites for people, but Freddie's on our team, so... Mm -hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. So (laughs) we're going to start with uh, Jesse is going to give a little synopsis, a little recap of these chapters for folks who have read Carry On before but are not rereading with us. All right. So in chapter one, we have Simon leaving his group home to go to St. Brutus's School for Criminally Magical Children, a.k.a. Watford School of Magics. <laughs> and he does some rumination on his life and about 
the nature of magic in this world. In chapter two, he is still traveling for traveling to go to school and he catches us up to speed about the things that he misses at Watford and introduces us to the important people in his life and hence the war that Simon is pretty deep in since he was a kid. Yeah. I see a little silhouette of a man. Okay, so we're going to start this off this week with a segment called I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, which is a character profile section because that's really like the most important thing that's happening in these first two chapters is that we're learning about who the characters are. Let's start with Simon. Our main character, Simon Snow. The saddest saddest orphan (laughs) yeah so he's mm, 17 18 something like that he he has been in youth group homes since infancy and he's incredibly tragic he is the tragicest tragicest mm, character and uh i really like that he actually shows us what the kind of trauma that the child soldier main character of a fantasy series is actually living through. Yeah. There's not really a lot of other books that I've read that show us this clearly, like how truly fucked up a kid living through this kind of thing would actually be. Yeah, and his like coping mechanisms for it. And in these first two chapters, he basically explains that, like, he doesn't even think about magic or the school that he loves so much at all when he's spending his summers in the group home because it's just too much for him emotionally, which is like, yeah, mood. Yeah. Same. (laughs) Totally. We also get a really interesting sort of, like, rundown of his relationship to magic that I think is really interesting because he's like super powerful, but very bad at magic. And he loves magic, but he doesn't love his own magic. Which is very tragic, but I also like really appreciate just because a lot of fantasy main characters, you have them being like effortlessly good at something, you know? Or maybe not effortlessly, but like, Oh, you've never been like a, in a leadership position, but you're an excellent leader. Or it's like, hey, cool, you have this like really cool physical or magical thing that you can do without necessarily having to go through like all the amounts of training and blah de blah, you know? Yeah. So like, it's really like refreshing and such an interesting take to go to be like, I don't know why my magic doesn't do the thing that everyone else's magic does. Yeah, and he, it's really interesting, I think, because this book is written in first person. And so we get a sort of maybe like deeper look into Simon's interior than is common. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that I like really like him as a person. He's really honest and he's really, he, he shows like a level even though he's so fucked up, like he has a level of emotional maturity and like ability to admit when he's wrong and to like admit when he's 
uncertain and a way that's like so refreshing especially in a portrayal of like a teenage boy and he's just so like upfront about all of these things where he's like yeah i did this thing and it was like really fucked up and i'm glad that i learned that lesson you know yeah he's also like very pretty self-aware which is yeah that's the word i was going for (laughs) which i mean i really like just as someone who's you're, you're you're reading it and you're like Purposely, you're missing a lot of backstory because you're not, like, seeing Simon across seven books. You're getting him, in at least in this one book so far. Right. But he does have a fucking sword, which is cool. So. He does have a sword. Fucking like sword of mages. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I can get behind this. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, even if he's, like, his magic is kind of crapshoot, at least he has a fucking sword. <laughs> yeah. And he's good. He's good at, at swording. Wow. <laughs> fencing i but that's not really what he does with the sword sword swordmanship i should I read, I read the fantasy i should fucking know what this he's good with a sword there you go <laughs> which he tells us not a not a euphemism, not a euphemism. <laughs> he tells us in a very funny passage about how he's good with a sword but as soon as he got good with a sword he was put in the position to have to fight an incorporeal foe and it's just like isn't that just my luck? And I right. found that like passage just like very endearing. It's just, just like, oh, now everyone wants to be incorporeal <laughs> yeah, and exactly. made of gossamer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like in talking about his sword, I would transition nicely into the mage, I think. You mean Dumbledore? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, (laughs) the mage is the most, like, I think of all of the characters, the mage is the most explicit crossover character from Harry Potter. But it's like, it's like Dumbledore, but like, without... (sighs) Honest. An honest portrayal, I feel like. It's it's like if Dumbledore has the wool pulled over everyone's eyes, the mage, that wool is gone. And like, Simon is aware of that. And I just want to actually just read this one passage which i feel like sort of encapsulate why the mage is the worst yeah the mage used to say to me that maybe someday he would let me spend the summers at watford or maybe even spend them with him wherever he goes all summer but then he decided i was better off spending part of every year with the normals to stay close to the language and keep my wits about me quote let hardship sharpen your blade simon i thought he meant my actual blade the, the sword of mages eventually i figured out that he meant me which of course what the actual fuck yeah and isn't the next the next line is like i'm the mage's sword right like simon is completely aware that he's being used by this man yeah which is like refreshingly self-aware but also still sad because he's still like the mage is still kind of his father figure still like the worst father figure and it's just like oh oh simon it's, it's not pathetic that Simon feels the mage, is, the mage is his father figure, is that the mage shouldn't be anyone's father figure. We haven't met him yet, and already I want to stab him in the eye. <laughs> yeah, I hate him. It's, oh, this book is so good. Have we mentioned that yet? The writing in this book is exquisite. We we read, I, what, 25 pages or something. I don't know, I'm reading on a Kindle, but... yeah. 
in that amount of space, I know so much about these characters. I have a very clear sense of who they are and opinions about them. And it it's really impressive. And just I just want to offer five stars to the writing. Yeah, we're getting a lot of character exposition and like world building exposition through Simon. But it all feels really natural. And it also... We're learning about the characters in his, the people in his life, but we're also still continually learning about Simon through how he describes the people in his life and how he views them mm-hmm. and the ways that they come up when he's uh, ruminating about the magical world and Watford and his own struggles with being the chosen one, essentially. Yeah, totally. He slayed a dragon when he was 12 or 13 which was apparently very hard and had to fight a chimera with his quote unquote enemy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 But anyway, the mage is just the worst. He's real awful. He also is both the headmaster of Watford and the overt minister of magic. I mean, leader of the coven, which is, also a nice sort of right removal of the wool like you said where it's like whereas Dumbledore is sort of the behind the scenes minister of magic the mage just is both the headmaster and in charge of the world of mages and you get you get the sense from Simon he says directly that he thinks if the mage wasn't the headmaster of Watford that he would want to keep Simon close anyway Mm mm-hmm which is fucked up. But just like that sort of consolidation of power for a man that Simon is like, yeah, the mage thinks we're all soldiers in this war to protect magic. And it's like, <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> uh, let's use talking about magic to segue to Penelope, who is very powerful and uh belongs in the world of mages which simon did not grow up in that's just me explaining why i'm using it as a segue so penelope aka penny simon's bff our hermione character canon chubby dorky person of color hell yeah very exciting who also has a long-term boyfriend it's just no no chubby dorky characters in harry potter ever get to have relationships so i just feel like it's really worth noting that these are the things that we learn about her really rapidly and i just think that's really important yeah she's of course my favorite (laughs) she is the best i mean i can't not love a chubby dorky woman of color character it just it's my brain is just like nope they're they're the best and i'm like you're right <laughs> i mean she is she is the best my i think in terms of like summing up who penny is as a character the fact that so she tells simon when they first meet my mom told me to stay away from you because no one knew where you come from and you might be dangerous and simon's like well then why did you talk to me and she's like because no one knew where you came from and you might be dangerous <laughs> and that's that's who she is and that's a great fucking person to be 
It's like, it's such a short line and you automatically can peg her character. Right. Where it's like, oh, it's like that. Where you're like, uh, you just are like, I need to know. And also maybe a bit of an adrenaline junkie. But also really nice because you're like, no one else wants to be your friend. Fuck it. We're yeah. friends now. You don't have any choice in the matter. Totally. <laughs> they become friends when she's just like, we're friends. And he's like, oh, okay. Which is just really nice as Simon doesn't have many friends or hadn't had many friends up until this point. And it's just really heartwarming. Yeah. So from friends to enemies, Baz. I feel like I just want to be like, quote unquote, enemies for every time we bring up Baz. Totally. For <sighs> before We're not in our sex, sexy section yet, though. So <laughs> for here, he's, I, I mean, uh, inarguably a giant bully. To Simon. Yeah. A magician from an old, rich, magical family. Hates hates Simon. Is also Simon's roommate, relevantly. Is also his roommate. And his his, his only roommate for the past six years. Yep. I just have LOL fire sign after in my notes. Which is probably because in the first chapter we get a really, a bunch of really lovely passages about Simon thinking about the ways that the people in his life describe what their magic feels like, mm-hmm. which is excellent writing because we get to in we could like really instantly peg the characters that way, but also gets into me as a nerd how the magic of this world works, which I'm always interested in knowing more about. Yes, uh, which we do not get in Harry Potter, which has always frustrated me. <laughs> yes, but just that. What Simon remembers Baz telling him about magic and how magic is to him. Close your eyes and light a match. Light a match inside your heart and then blow on the tinder. Which is such, it's so good, but also just tells you so much about him. Say, Say more. What I mean is, I feel like, describing magic as or like the kind of magic in this world as trying to start a fire or as Simon also sells uh pulling a trigger it makes it seem like that magic is sort of a means to an end or that Baz thinks of it kind of as a means to an end and also like a little bit destructive and especially Especially since the, the next line after the light of match inside your heart from Simon is that it's always fire with Baz. And this is much different than the description we get of how the magic feels uh, when Simon has talked to Penny, who is like, oh, it's just this well within me that I can just draw from. Or Agatha, who reluctantly said this, like holding a ballet pose or like flexing a muscle. Mm-hmm. And those just feel very thematically different mm-hmm. as like how you're viewing like what you're conjuring in your mind of what your personal magic is i feel like kind of just also says about like how you view that magic itself okay so i th- i think that thinking ahead to like what we know about baz like fa- baz's family is our fireworkers and he comes from like an incredibly long line of fireworkers on both sides i think and so I think that that means something different to him than it means maybe to other people. 
um, or like how it comes across. I'm just thinking about like how we see Baz use magic throughout the book. I feel like his magic is like his magic is very hot. We learn that, but it's he also is very like delicate with it. He does a, a lot of very very delicate magic that's very nuanced. And I don't know that that fits with the way that the description of his magic comes across in this first chapter, which is really interesting. That's a really good point. Because I think that your like your reading is one hundred percent correct, but I think that it's not how Baz ends up playing out, which is maybe mm-hmm. just something like we should keep an eye on and like keep thinking about because I assume that we're going to talk a lot about how magic works in this world. Yeah throughout this reading because like we're both so excited to be reading a book where we learn about how magic works (laughs) (sighs) Uh, yeah it's pretty great so agatha right flexing a muscle and keeping it flexed agatha is simon's girlfriend and we learn maybe the least about her than we learn about anyone that Simon talks about. We learn that she's incredibly well off. She's not powerful magically. She doesn't seem to like or really care about magic. She potentially cheated on Simon with Baz. And she's very pretty. That's it, right? That's all we get about yeah. her. Basically, most of chapter two is him describing the things that Simon miss, misses most about Watford. And she's number 10 out of 10. Yeah. Which is my dude. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's just. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really what you need to know about his feelings. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like, maybe Agatha should be before Penny, but, you know, I don't change the order of the list. And then in the next one, he's like, this one used to be something else, but I replaced it. (laughs) So it's like, I think that you're making excuses about why Agatha's not higher on your list, my friend. For sure. Easy come, easy go. So, welcome to Easy Come, Easy Go, where we talk about things that don't belong anywhere else. You want to talk about Simon's List first? Sure. All right. Oh, tragedy. Number one, scones. I really emphasize because you can, I mean, he doesn't say it directly, but it's, it's number one because Simon has clearly never had enough food that he likes in his life, and he is just cannot give up eating these delicious scones Mm -hmm. i guess so we learn we learn so much about simon from the fact that these scones are number one on his list of things that he misses because they're sort of like the first i don't it sounds like they're maybe like the first real like decadent thing that he has had access to maybe and they're like always there and they're clearly his comfort food like Mm -hmm. number one comfort food and then i think the the sort of like heart punch of the scones being on the list is emphasized when we get to number three i think number two 
Number two used to be roast beef? Yep. Okay. And he says, what, the... He had to make it only one food item because otherwise it turned into the song from Oliver. And he gets so hungry that his stomach cramps. That made me so sad. I know. And Simon's just, like, so fucking relatable. Like, the way that he just, like, tells us that in a way that's, like, offhanded as if it's not incredibly tragic. I'm like, that's how I talk about my trauma, too, Simon. <laughs> like, right, high five. It's very much like, let me like wrap it into a funny quip so every so we can just sort of downplay how fucking terrible it is. Yeah, and then everyone's like awkwardly quiet when you finish <laughs> saying it and then you change the subject really fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> years ago when I did group therapy, I used to get in trouble for that because it's like, stop turning all your trauma into a joke to deflect. And I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. It's the worst when someone's <laughs> like, I see what you're doing there. And you're like, fuck off. But what else do I do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Like, feel those feelings while I talk to you? <laughs> like a monster? <laughs> <sighs> oh, okay. So real number two is Penny, obviously. Who's the best? Yeah, this is where we get a more detailed introduction of her. And it's perfect. Like, I couldn't imagine a better introduction and there are clearly some issues between simon and agatha his girlfriend but i just always really like when it's like oh man friendships are really important so this just it's very warming to me to be like oh yeah your relationship is so great oh they are they're clearly like really good friends number three the football pitch (laughs) A a segment that i care about only because it's another place where simon brings up uh, how much he notices how very lovely Baz is. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> the description of Baz in this section. Uh, <clears throat> he's the same on the field as he is everywhere else. Strong, graceful, fucking ruthless. Hot. Yeah, like basically. <laughs> like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Oh my god. <laughs> it just it just it kills me. <laughs> I know, it's so good. Uh tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. That you hate so anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> School uniforms. Oh my god. I just have why are these school uniforms the worst? What is up with these uniforms? <laughs> But part of me feels like, and I didn't look this up because I worked for eight hours before we started recording, but I wonder if it's a thing that there are UK schools that just have weird, ridiculous school uniforms. You know that we literally talked about this in like episode two of The Gaily Prophet. Oh my God. Did... We did, was... and including was... talking about these uniforms. <laughs> Do you know how many years ago <laughs> December 2018 was? It's, it's been 84 years. <laughs> no, you're right. I know. I just have a like weirdly a weirdly specific memory. If there were ever if there's ever a carry-on movie, I want to see these ridiculous ass 
You know, they're like so silly that I had to keep like, I knew what it said because I just memorize everything that I read. And so I knew before I even read it this time, but then I like read it and convinced myself that I had remembered wrong previously and that it was actually describing the jumper when it was describing the stripes, which would be fine. I would probably wear that. I mean, I wouldn't because I'm goth, but like, (laughs) I would like that sweater. You would wear that sweater. I sure would wear that sweater. But the actually, I no, go ahead. Sorry, I think I do own a sweater that has shades of purple and at least two shades of green now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a sweater that's great. But then I kept, I like looked again and I was like, no, it, it, it's the blazer. Like, what is this circus uniform that they're making these children wear? And the hats and the boater hats. Right. For six years. It's not like it's just like first years. For six years, they have to wear a boater hat anytime they're on the grounds. I'm just like shaking my head because it's just, and you know what? I don't, it is ridiculous, but in Detroit where I live, so many schools, I mean, all, I think almost all of them now, but like when I was a kid, there were several like Catholic schools that had like very specific shades of like plaid that they would wear in their school uniforms. You could always like kind of know who went to which school. Mm -hmm. And there was one of the schools where their uniforms were pale yellow shirts and like a brown plaid <sighs> right and so everywhere i would go i automatically i don't remember what school it was i'd be like yep that's that school because who put out these ridiculous ass colors that is terrible those poor children yeah i also feel like we would be remiss to not mention that the upper years can wear capes <laughs> And then Penny is like, makes sure that she definitely wears one and feels like Stevie Nicks, which I love. <laughs> I know. It's so, and it, like, imagine. So the upper years, I think, are the sixth and seventh years. The, uh, the sixth years are still having to wear these boaters. And so then you have to imagine someone wearing a boater <laughs> and a cape. <laughs> just, just, I don't know. I'm really just imagining like Penny with like a gauzy cape and she's just like singing a Stevie Nicks song and the other magicians are just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Man, I want to be friends with her so bad. I know. But Simon loves his uniform. That is what we're talking about. (laughs) He loves not having to pick what he's going to wear. He loves having clothes that fit and he loves having clothes that are only his yeah which is also very sad yeah uh but what's really cute is that he's like i have no idea what i'll wear after i graduate but i'm gonna choose it myself or penny could help penny 110 percent will help yeah that's very adorable so where are what is that number number so we're at number five now which is his room that he shares with baz Yes. (laughs) The room. But he doesn't miss the Baz part, Jesse. Mm -hmm. That part's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Their room does sound fucking cool. It's the top of a tower in a turret. It's bigger than all the other student rooms. It has its own bathroom, which is cool. Yep. And there's a line in here that, at least for me, as a very old fangirl who's been reading fanfiction for like 15 years. I can I can see a bit where you know that Rainbow Rowell also wrote fanfiction back in the day. I mean, also right now, basically. But 
There's a line about Penny saying that uh, their shared bathroom sells like cedar and bergamot. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely Boz's scent. Mm-hmm. And I particularly love this part because every fucking fandom has to assign a specific scent to the characters that they're shipping. Let me give you a, spe- a more specific example. And like 95% of the Buffy fanfic I've ever read that's like relationship E. Um, they have Buffy, like, her scent being, like, vanilla. And, like, almost universally. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why, why did everyone just decide this? And apparently it came from, like, an interview or something about Sarah Michelle Gellar wearing, like, vanilla lotion all the time or something. And so just after that, every all the feds were just like, this is just what she smells like. Okay, cool. Got it. <laughs> and... It pops up no matter what fandom it is. It's like fan fiction writers have to be like, well, they have to smell like something cool. <laughs> so to have this bit and carry on is like, so you know if you're ever writing Simon and Baz fan fiction, you're going to know what all of Baz's stuff is going to smell like for when Simon, I don't know, they're sharing a bed or whatever fan fiction trope you want to use. And I'm just like, LOL. So I'm just like, I see you, Rainbow. <laughs> I see what That's you're doing. Here. Such so I am I am not like a fanfic reader, as you know, but our new listeners don't. And so that's fully new information to me and is really interesting and awesome. And I we definitely get a description of what Simon smells like later in the book. I think that we also get a description of Agatha and I can't remember if we get one of Penny, but like you are 100% correct. She is making sure that we, that we have this information for all of the characters. Like, I think, I think including the mage, which is like, she's like, I know you're going to do this. I wish (laughs) you wouldn't, but there will be those of you who are writing pics about the mage. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, wait. Let me let me tell you a, this is going to be a slight divergent. In general, I I will read any kind of fan fiction pairing um as long as it's not like too gross, like a major age difference or it's like, you know, incesty. But for whatever reason, I've been seeing so many Harry Voldemort shipping fix on AO3 and I'm like, what are y'all doing? Like, I'm not one to, like, kink shame anyone, but I'm like, y'all, what? What? Yeah, that is weird. No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Oh, that's so weird. It's very upsetting to me. Thankfully, AO3, you can, like, if you're searching, you can choose to, like, not have a certain pairing show up. And I'm like, nope, I don't want to see that. None of that and none of the fucking Snape Harry pairings either. Yeah, No. No, I, not a, not about that. I need to know what the Harry Voldemort ship name is, though. I don't know if it has. I mean, I don't know. It might have one. Not not all ships have like the. What is it called when you smush two things together? The portmanteau. Yes. Yeah. So not not every ship has a portmanteau. The Snape Harry one is snary, which is as gross as the ship itself, which I feel like is. <laughs> good i like that uh, i just that just always reminds me about the ship name for katniss and Peeta from the hunger games in which one of their option is penis but they don't actually go for that so it's like <laughs> the other 
I don't remember what it's called now. But that was their other option, and it's like, LOL. You guys should have picked that one, but whatever. That's really funny. <laughs> I don't I don't understand because, like, some ships get, like, good names like Wolfstar or Snowbaz, which even Snowbaz is, like, kind of both of their names, but it's, like, not, like, a mashup of the two. And I, I just feel like everyone should be trying harder to come up with cute ship names instead of, like, just... Terrible ones. Just smashing them together anyway anyway the next thing that simon misses (laughs) is magic oh actually the the next one he says is the mage is actually number six i must have just spaced out (laughs) no i I only said it because i'm literally looking at it on my screen (laughs) no i i'm looking at my list that i wrote down on the screen i just didn't put the mage (laughs) it's like uh fuck that one because you're like why would the mage be one of your favorite things he's the worst (laughs) i was like i can't support this simon i'm editing your list for you (laughs) so the mage who simon wishes was more of a father figure but who is decidedly not and who is also isolating Simon from people during the summer on purpose, which we'll get into later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the fact that the mage is on this list is like a sign of Simon's trauma in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. This is like someone who is abusing him pretty actively and consistently, but like he associates this person with like saving him from the normal world and like bringing him somewhere where he feels like he's at home and so he has this like emotional attachment to the mage that it would be better if he did not have mm-hmm. also still higher up than his girlfriend quote-unquote true <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so then magic then magic yeah i don't have anything else to say about this though <laughs> okay Ab. Which I have with, like, five exclamation marks. I fucking love Eb. Eb is, of course, Dyke Goals. Yes. <laughs> I have all this magic, but I'm just gonna hang out with some goats and be really good at being a goat herder. Sounds perfect to me. Yeah. I ain't gotta fight no one. <laughs> I ain't gotta do shit. I ain't gotta be a part of this ridiculous politics. I could be outside. Hell yeah. Eb is so wonderful. And, like genuinely nice to simon in a way that's so much different than the mage where she's just like you don't have a flock you're not part of my flock and it's like yeah i just yeah i'm so excited to get like more get to know ab more as we Mm -hmm. move through this because i just adore her so yeah (laughs) the next entry is i think my favorite which is the wavering wood I'm taking this off the list. Fuck the wavering wood. <laughs> uh, also, it's refreshing that Simon swears so much. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's exactly what I'd put. I'd be like, fuck those woods. <laughs> totally. <sighs> and now we get to your favorite entry. Agatha, who also maybe should be taken off the list, says uh, Simon. Just what, like, this is, this is like, so I'm obsessed with posts from both 
Reddit relationships and Reddit Am I the Asshole? Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a like <laughs> Am I the asshole that I'm considering taking my girlfriend off my list of favorite things? <laughs> it's like, bro, yes, dub her already. Just stop stop the charade. Totally. Oh man. It is because even like most of the conversation, so it's you know, he's like, maybe I should take her off the list, and then he sort of like goes off to talk about other things that are vaguely Agatha related, but mostly really not. And then he like circles back to be like, anyway, Agatha, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Just (laughs) Yeah, Simon, you do you do not like this girl. You should should like go. Yeah, like it seems like not even the slightest bit. Yeah. Huh. All right. Uh, what else is in this section? I'm gonna I'm gonna say the other villain because clearly the mage is the villain of this book. <laughs> right. But the other villain is the humdrum or the insidious humdrum, which what a fucking terrible villain name. Yeah. Which I'm sure is on purpose. Yeah. But I'm just like. We definitely wait a very long time into the book before we find out why it has such a ridiculous name. Which I love. I really love that we just go for so long being like, why is it called this? I mean, in general, I like fantasy and sci-fi novels where you just kind of like, you sort of just dropped into it and you just got to figure it out as the story unfolds. Because then it feels less like, here's just five pages of me explaining to you what's happening in a way that's like, this isn't a natural way this would happen at all. Right. Yeah. Looking at you, first chapter of every Harry Potter book until book five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, random. I think the only other random thing that I wanted to bring up is that Simon's dream parents are the Beckhams. <laughs> no! <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go for dream parents, you might as well go big. Yeah, I guess. I just feel like if I was like, oh, like... I'm thinking about who, if I could have any parents in the world, I would choose Posh Spice. (laughs) Does she have a super, like, maternal energy that she's putting out there? I feel like they're not shitty. I don't don't know if I've ever... I mean, they definitely have kids, but I just don't feel like... I don't... When I think, like, ideal nurturer, Posh Spice is not the first person that my brain goes to. I mean, it just, it feels very teenage boy in a way that's very, that I like. Okay. It's like, it's like, what? You know? Yeah. Uh, it just, it does, it is very funny. It's so funny. Uh, my last thing I want to bring up is just, it happens in the very, sh- chapter one, y'all, is like three pages. But <laughs> there's something in this magical world called a bone tea hunter, because they get to keep your teeth if they catch you and your bones and your bones which is some it's it's such it's like it reminds me of like a character that would be in a Guillermo del Toro movie because specifically because there are weird tooth fairy monsters in I think Hellboy 2 which del Toro directed and this that's the kind of like weird nightmare fuel creatures he likes to put in his movies and I'm like what the fuck? Just like, what is this? Just dropped in nightmare fuel terribleness. Yep. <sighs> yep. I'm I'm nodding vigorously, which I <laughs> I do realize is not coming across. <laughs> 
No, they are. They're horrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we learn about those in the context that there are several prices on Simon's head. And in the in the list of like all of the fucking trauma in his life, that's like so low. He's like, oh yeah, bounty hunters, whatever. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, whatever. Bounty hunters, whatever. Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff, a.k.a. Baz. So I just have a list. Can I read you a list of the descriptions that we <laughs> yes. get of yes. Baz? Yes, yes, uh, So we get that lovely passage about them waking up after the chimera, after Simon goes off on the chimera, and then Baz says that Simon singed off his eyebrows, and Simon says, but he looked fine to me, not a hair out of place. Typical. Mm-hmm. Again, hot. He is then described as being taller than Simon and posher than anyone. Also hot. Right? And then we get the, the soccer description of strong, graceful, and fucking ruthless. I mean, and also we can go back to the uh, cedar and bergamot cologne product, whatever uh Baz is using which is very butch lol but like fancy butch it's a scent that i myself would probably would buy but i couldn't afford it and i'm like sometimes you just meet people you're just like you smell great and you look great and it's just like how do you even do this totally (laughs) i like (laughs) am a dirtbag and like roll out of bed to come here (laughs) i feel grateful that it's explicit. Anyone who knows about this book knows that it's like basically Harry Potter, like dreary fanfic. So we don't need to like beat around the bush with that, even if we're not really spoiling things. And we're like 20, maybe 20. I don't know. I read with my font giant on my Kindle. So I have no idea how many pages into this book we are, but not very far. And Simon has made it abundantly clear to us that his roommate, who he quote unquote hates, is very very hot which is also funny considering i think the only physical description of agatha we get at this point is that she's pretty yeah so i my entries for this section are like one baz in all caps two not agatha in all caps (laughs) (laughs) he does compare her to a kitten in what is a very strange passage in a past where it sounds already very sensual, because she's like laying on a fur rug, which I feel like in your brain is like, well, that's just sexy. In that's front what, of a fire. Like that is what years of tell of pop culture has told me is sexy, is like laying on a fur rug in front of a fire. And then he's like, like a pretty kitten. And you're like, oh. So not <laughs> sexy. <then." laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. It is a wolfskin rug. I know. And I want to rant about that in our ranting section because I have feelings about it. That's a lot of feelings, but also that's boss's shit. Like what? Like Jesse. (laughs) I I, I mean, I don't appreciate the murder and skinning of wolves, but like that's a that's a that you you have set a stage for a look. And that is that look. Anyway. Yeah, well, now we're talking about it, so let's just finish talking about it. It also really places Agatha, like, class-wise. Like, we don't see anything in her house besides a fireplace and a wolfskin rug, and we're like, 
oh, and her talking about ballet, you know? Yeah. And we're like, now I know so much about you from Mm -hmm. these three very small things. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's that section for this this week. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics. Do you want to start? Sure. Do you want to start with talking about class or mental health or race or the mage? Uh, We could do race. That's actually the first one that I have. Okay. You go first. I just fucking love how in the first, in Simon first meeting Penny, that she like checks his whiteness real quick. And just, it's like a very, it's just such a good scene. And also it's like, oh yeah, hey, race still matters in these books. But, I mean, this is also, I think, the only racial description we get of anyone so far. Yeah, so we are definitely still um, getting default whiteness, right? hmm Which, so it's like one step in the right direction, but still a little bit of a, a swing and a miss. Yeah. I do really, really love everything about the passage with Penny's race, though, both. So Simon does the thing where he says to her, I didn't know people like you could be named Penelope. Is that what he says? Mm -hmm. And she's like, people like me can be named anything. And then Simon, like, now tells us her mom is Indian and her dad is English and then very quickly corrects himself and is like, both of her parents are English, mm-hmm. which I, I really like. I also really like the part where she says, like, what do you think someone like me should be named? And he says, I don't know. And then, like, now again in, in the present talking to us is like, I didn't know. And I think that that is something that's, like, important and something that I want to talk about sort of outside the context of Carry On, but, like... As a, I think it's, that that's an important thing where Simon is like, I had genuine ignorance and I recognize that like my ignorance was not an excuse and I was corrected and I learned from it and like, I'm better for it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's rare that we see that in a book that's somehow not about, like usually it happens in a like, where the thesis of the book is it's about race. But this is, like, not about race at all, and it's like, oh, hey, I learned this thing, that I had this assumption, and now I don't think like that anymore. And it's, like, good for you, Simon. Right, and it's, like, two lines. And I think I think something like this is a very direct criticism of the Harry Potter series. And, like, when I say criticism, it's kind of like how the his dark materials series is sort of a like fuck you to uh the uh, narnia series mm-hmm. in this like sort of religious rigidity mm-hmm. um and i feel like this is a, this is one of those post harry potter things where it's like you know what's fucked up jkr <laughs> that all the people of color had really ethnic names right <laughs> as the signifiers for them being people of color that's some bullshit yep and so I just, like, I love how it's here because it, like, is an excellent part of the story, but also, like, a very definitely addressing that 
very well trodden criticism of the Harry Potter series. Yeah, totally. And it also it's it's an opportunity where you can use someone's character growth as a way to educate your readers without preaching. And I think that that's really lovely, especially when your readers are young people. And I think that everyone should take those kinds of opportunities, I guess, when they're presented. Yeah. And especially because I'm like a very broad general statement as someone who's been in the Harry Potter and other fantasy. There's a lot of white people in fantasy fandom. And oftentimes it's like those folks don't think a lot about race sometimes. And so it's really good to just to have this directly in the text to be like, hey, white folks, you know, it's not cool. (laughs) Yeah. Assuming that this um, Indian girl wouldn't be named Penelope. Right. Yeah, it's great. Okay. You want to jump from race to class? Sure do. Cool. We get some very serious, like, uh, sort of like class comparison stuff here. Like the difference between Simon and seemingly everyone that he interacts with in the world of mages is is really profound. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little more about that or? Yeah, I can. I feel like I've been talking a lot, so I'm trying to like make space I don't, I don't think you've been talking a lot. So we get, I think the, you know, we get these examples of like, Ag- with Agatha that we talked about earlier. Um, but then there's also the thing where Simon is talking to his teacher, Miss Possibelf. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? You, you gotta, okay, every, fantasy loves ridiculous ass names. Just lean, lean into it. She's... <laughs> Rainbow Rowell is leaning the fuck into it. And, and I kind of love it because it's just like, what? Yeah, no, I know. Because it's, it's right, it's gone so far that it's entered satire, which is lovely. But so he's having this conversation with her and she's like giving him examples of ways that he can practice magic over the summer. And all of the examples assume a level of privilege that Simon doesn't have. And she you know, coming from this very insular world, presumably can't even imagine the way that Simon lives over the summer and he can't bring himself to tell her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's also part of the reason why his sort, his fantasy is of being adopted by the Beckhams because they're also fucking rich. Yeah, totally. Because yes, like Simon is, surrounded by all of this privilege and that you and even though he mentions that he has a lot of gold he's still living this like impoverished life yeah yeah he doesn't even have to be anymore the mage is forcing it on him oh but he has to he has to be the sharpest blade in the mage's armory you know yeah let's let's talk about that (laughs) there i mean the relationship between the mage and Simon is basically the relationship between Harry and Dumbledore with just more truthful. Um, and the, and the mage being more directly 
not pretending not to be ruthless just is ruthless yeah and is more overtly abusive i think forcing simon to live in those group homes like when he doesn't have to and the fact that like i mean isn't one of the like cardinal signs of domestic abuse is like cutting off your contacts with like your other relationships the mage is the only person that simon is allowed to talk to in the Mm -hmm. summers that's textbook abuse yeah and also the like crumbs of affection to like be like oh well he really does have affection for me and it's like no simon yeah he's always looking out for me sometimes when i don't even realize it and you're like oh that means that the mage has been telling you that he's been looking out for you as opposed to showing you you know yeah yeah it's like it's really fucked up their relationship is so fucked up i don't like it. <laughs> no i don't think we're supposed to like it yeah which is also kind of refreshing because i think that we are supposed to like other similar relationships and fantasy stories so yeah so simon's mental health is the last thing i have in this section my sad baby <laughs> yeah i want to talk about the framing of these two chapters in which simon like we get a lot of these discussion of the characters and the world because simon says that he does not allow himself since he was 12 to think about the magical world and watford at all which is a very clear coping mechanism for depression trauma PTSD, whatever, however he is processing what's happening. Like, this is the way that he can, like, process the cognitive dissonance of, like, going from Watford to the group home and then back. And, like, just sort of the trauma of, like, living in what I could only assume is a just chaotic, unstable, like, living situation. Yeah. So it's, like, it's a coping strategy for what at least I read as, like a form of imposter syndrome where he's so fucked up that he's convinced that every year he's convinced that September might come and he might learn that he made the whole thing up or that he actually can't go back. And so he's protecting himself for just in case the good thing doesn't happen instead of letting himself trust that the good thing will come back. Like, he feels safer being prepared for the worst. And I mean, one, it's like really sad. It's something that I'm extremely familiar with. I don't even know what else I want to say about that. Just like, that's a terrible way to live, I guess, is what I want to say. Yeah. It's definitely a way that... I have spent a lot of time living and it's it's awful and I just have so many feelings for Simon and like I just think it's so honest like this is such an accurate example of what how he would be given the circumstances of his life. Mhm. Yeah, like he would have realistic coping skills for not that's not what I want to say. It's a coping strategy, not a coping skill, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, definitely a thing where it's like, Simon, I, would, I wish you could spend some of your gold on some therapy because... 
yeah this that's a, a that's a lot of emotional and mental gymnastics and it just sounds very hard yeah and like repressing those thoughts every time they come up that takes so much energy oh god yeah and i mean i feel like i know from experience that like trying to shove all your experience into a box in your mind just i mean it's just like they don't stay in the box they just ooze out in places in ways that you're like not prepared for and you're like oh why am i just crying for no reason that's weird yep this isn't a time for for tears but i'm just crying yep anyway uh he we also like he tells us about nightmares that he has he has nightmares about killing that dragon that did not need to be slayed and i think he feels super fucked up about it and no one has helped him process that and he also dreams about food which again like yeah just tells you all you need to know about his his uh food insecurity yeah which i yeah poor simon yeah i think the last thing i want to talk about mental health wise with him is how viscerally we are introduced to his fear that penelope is going to move away i mean yeah like she is as as far as you can tell the literally the only person who is in simon's corner and doesn't like expect something of him besides their friendship Mm -hmm. like there isn't there literally isn't anywhere else anyone else and like that's a a real fear when you, when you don't have like any other kind of support network that like the one person in, that like is here for you is like going to move away mm-hmm. welcome to caught in a landslide where we rant about stuff uh, I just have a couple of things to rant about. First thing is a positive rant, which is how excited I am about the talking about the nature of how magic works in this fucking world. <laughs> you know, it requires some kind of mental, like we get that it requires some kind of like mental focus and then some sort of like indescribable metaphysic something that you can, that people gather within themselves to use to produce magic mm-hmm. which of course unfortunately escapes simon which is another way that he is different from all the other people that we've met so far right and i just i'm just so here for it yeah totally like it's just such a, it's such a nerdy thing to be into but it's like again one of my critiques of the harry potter series it's like one of the things that I really like about the Magician series. Also, magic has a smell <laughs> that attracts magical people. Is that, that's an analogy, right? It's a, oh. it's a metaphor. Uh, Was I reading that literally? Because I, to- I totally just read that literally. I think that it is not literal. I mean, everyone's magic does have a smell, but I don't think we're there yet. But I think Simon's just like, or Penny's saying that people can just like smell the power on Simon. I don't think they like have a smell when they're not doing magic. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's talk about the very gross thing where all of these seventeen-year-old children are pairing off because uh. they have to get married 
Otherwise, they might be single when they're 30. Oh, no. I feel bad for all the kids that go to Watford that come out when they're like, like later in life. They're like, fuck. The fuck, dude? <laughs> the fuck do I do now? Yeah, and like given... Oh, wow, that's an interesting whole thing. <laughs> like if if there's such a pressure to like marry off and like make magic babies like how how is queerness in general treated by these magic parents we will have to put a pin in that question and and examine come, it come back to that yeah. but yeah it's just it's so it's so awkward i'm like right and then what if you'd like the person who's just like but no one wants to date me like some of us are late bloomers, yo. Like, I just, and I also just up. thought, like, as someone who's thirty three, like the thing where it's like, otherwise you'll be doing a singles tour of Great Britain when you're thirty two. Is like, okay, I know so many people who are like single or dating or like dating lots of people or whatever. It's it's really funny to me the idea, and and of course Penny is is 17 also or 18 or whatever and so to her being single at 32 is like but you're so old (laughs) but which which is very funny i know i'm like no it's fine you're gonna be fine if you're single at 32 it's like gonna be totally okay don't fret also like okay so maybe there isn't like a you know magical neighborhood or magical library or whatever but people are still gonna get together to like try to date and have sex so it's got to be like the singles bar or something yeah totally y'all are just babies thinking like oh if i don't meet my person now it's oh i'm like real no i know oh god <laughs> yeah they're too I young i know they're babies do you have any other rants i actually don't have any other rants cool So, final segment in this here episode is called Is This Just Fantasy? Where we talk about things that are... In our other podcast, this would be the health and science section. This is where we talk about the nitty gritty of magical creatures and magic itself and etc. I hilariously do not have anything for this. So... What do you? What's your take on leprechaun gold that only disappears if you give it to another magician? It is very impractical either way, is what <laughs> I think. I mean, I guess I'm sure this is probably rooted in leprechaun lore of some kind. I think typically leprechaun gold just disappears after a certain amount of time. I mean, yeah, as like... A trickster spirit that makes sense to me but like i guess my question is like okay so in this world the gold somehow senses magic and then disappears if you give it to a magic person but like if you give it to a normal it's like well that's fine and stays like what is that but also simon is a magician wouldn't him holding it make it disappear Excellent question. So it also (laughs) senses the transaction because it says it only disappears if you try to give it to another magician. Yeah, maybe. That's weird. 
that's, I mean, on top of that, if he went to a bank with like, I don't know, five gold coins, like, what are we supposed to do with that? Tell's gonna be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, no, he has to take it to, you know, one of those we buy gold places and change it for money. And like, is it just like a, is it like a gold bar? Like, does it have like a picture of a leprechaun on it? Like, I actually now have so many questions about how this would work. This is why he's still poor. Like, this is a lot of work to get some money. And he's like, just like some 17 year old kid. They're going to be like, is, they're going to be like, is this a joke? Did you steal this? Like, That's true. If a 17 year old kid walked in and was like, here's a duffel bag of gold. I would like to change it for cash money. They would be like, I'm calling the police. Unless he goes to like the sketchiest of neighborhoods, I suppose. Yeah, or I guess only takes like one bit at a time, in which case it's like, what, a two day endeavor to get enough to pay one month of rent. Is this just like at his, in his room at Watford? Because he can't just roll up to his group home with a duffel bag full of leprechaun gold. That's true. It's probably, it's gotta be, yeah. Thank you for listening to our inaugural episode of Escape from Reality. Uh, next week, we will be discussing chapter three. So if you're reading along with us, that's what you should read. It's very long. <laughs> you can follow us and find us through our other podcasts. So we are at the Gailey Prophet, G-A-Y-L-Y, Prophet.com, and at the Gailey Prophet on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet where we do lots of fun stuff. And we will probably be putting a whatever ridiculous thing like cuts out of this episode. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually we will be releasing all of the episodes of this podcast early to our patrons. So if you want that, you should join up. Cool. Where can they find you, Jesse? Uh, I am on Instagram at live from Detroit, uh, and I am occasionally on Twitter at uh, Jesse underscore Detroit. I can be found on Instagram at Lark Malachi, which is L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I, or on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. And the music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. That information's in our show notes. Until next time. Scottamoosh. Oh my god. <laughs> so we nailed it. It was great. <laughs> and until next time. Ready? Yes. Scottamoosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, we gotta try it again. Okay. <laughs>